This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Frank Green. Frank is one of the most in-demand lead trumpet players on the East Coast, as well as a published author and coach. After attending North Texas State, Frank got his big start with Woody Herman, followed by a five-year run playing lead with Maynard Ferguson. Frank has played with a who's who's list of artists, but it's his time on the David Letterman Show that officially makes Frank the world's most dangerous trumpet player. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am so excited to have with me my good friend, the world's most dangerous trumpet player, <laughs> Mr. Frank Green. What's shaking, Frank? How are you, Jose? What's I'm, up now? I'm excellent, man. I am excellent, especially now that I, I get to spend a little time with you because it's it's been way too long since we've talked. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah so uh, what's new in the world of Mr. Frank David Green? Wow. Well, you know, tonight we're going to watch some Marvel Universe. Yeah, it is. Uh, very good. Very good. My wife, my wife has us watching all the 56 Marvel movies that should take us to the end of Corona. So. <laughs> well, uh, let, let's hope it, it's sooner rather than later. So, Oof, uh, no joke. Yeah, How have you been yeah. doing? How's it been going there? Well, you know, uh, surviving. Uh, you know, so any I like I always feel like any day that I'm above ground is a good day. So you know, I I take that as as a blessing. And um, you know, for me, a lot of the stuff that's happened has helped me to uh, identify areas in my life where I basically I've just got stuff going on that I don't need to have going on. So it, it allows me then to start to refocus and reprioritize, and you know, just make the best of the time. Isn't it, it seems like a lot of people are, are doing what I'm calling like near-death experience kind of thinking, right? Yeah. It's like people, you know, but then you kind of wonder how much of it lasts because, you know, you know people, you know, we are, we're, we're our neural pathways are not cut that way, you know, so we have these epiphanies, but do those epiphanies last when life starts to look like our neural pathways are used to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's, uh, I guess what, for me, uh, I had one of those epiphanies, which was, you know, literally a, you know, a near-death epiphany uh, when I was dealing with my cancer, and it just made me to just get to that point where it's like, hey, you know, I'm alive. Every day I'm alive. It's a good day, and uh, let's make the best of it. And I've been able to maintain that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I see so many people that are going through that idea of, you know, they're 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 fretting about the new normal where. I have no problem with that because I don't like normal. Normal is the habit, and the habit habit's good for keeping you going and maintaining status quo. But there's no growth in following the normal. You know, it's always the challenge that, that provides the growth. Well, what's the phrase? We're born on a we're born on a treadmill going the wrong way. You stand <laughs> still, you go backwards, and if you walk, you stand still, and if you run, you make forward progress. Oh, I I never heard that one, but I like that. I, I'll, I'll steal that. I forgot where I heard it, but yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of like that, right? You feel like if you stand still, it's kind of going slow. You don't really notice it, but then you look back and you realize, man, I, I've seen this. I saw that, you know, that shake shack a minute ago. Yeah. 
you're JFK, I know, in the Delta terminal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Shake Shack before. Uh, I've, I've eaten at that Shake Shack before. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're like with with so many people who are uh, like you that are that are full time professionals. Uh, the fact that uh, so many of the live shows have been have gone away. Uh, how are you managing your time? How are you maintaining your sanity? You know, it's funny. I think most of us are kind of um, I want to say one day at a time. Someone someone called it Corona coaster. We're like, you know, a few days you're baking you're baking banana bread, and you know, and you're figuring out all your recipes and cleaning your house. And then like three days later, you're drinking, you know, vodka first thing in the morning. I mean, it's not quite there, obviously, but I think, you know how it is for us. We're, we're used to having periods, you know, there's, you know, hopefully periods are short, but we're used to having periods of time where we're not doing as much as other times. And so you might have a Broadway show and you go to it every day and then like maybe your show closes and you have one coming up, but it might not be coming up for eight months or seven, six months. And so you learn to fill in the time. So for us, as long as this doesn't go more than maybe eight months, most of us are kind of looking at it like, you know, this is the time between shows, for instance, or this is the time between the next tour or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not quite so bad. It's not, it's not become a Zen exercise quite yet, but I can see that over time it might be. I think if, if um, Nancy Pelosi doesn't get her way, <laughs> it might be, might be that way faster for some people. You know, yeah. Or some of us yeah. Others, so. We'll yeah. see. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? What you say? Yeah, I, it is, you know, and uh, yeah, our, our character will be defined, you know, whether it be individually or collectively, our character is going to be defined by how we manage the challenge. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, like I see you have your Air Jordan shirt on, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike live for the challenge, you know, it's, it's you know, step up, you know, and I, I think that uh that's ultimately what is going to make or break us uh, as as a country or as, as a society is you know do we step up uh, you know who's going to who's going to try and take sink the winning shot you know who's going to be able to uh, to assist and um, you know we just we just got to do it because I, I think that this in so many ways could be some of this you know this is either it is what it is. This is my favorite saying. It is what it is. It becomes what you make of it. So this can this can be a defining moment for us. But is it going to define us as being resilient and strong and capable, or is it going to define us as being weak and and afraid? So yeah, because you think about it, like you know, this is it's just we're basically living history, and I think that people forget that you know, at wartime, I think you know, nobody in any country that went through war really wanted it i think you know they would they were you know at home making a coffee next thing you know you know an alarm goes off or a siren or a bomb drops nobody wants that yeah. i think that you just have to so i mean in some ways we're lucky because that's not happening yeah. You know, yeah but we are definitely part of a big part of a historical period yeah you know, more than maybe like bell bottom jeans and you know angels flight jeans and uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> rolling shoes they used to have over the years. yeah yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're Jordashes. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> I'm good with that. So, uh, so what have you been working on uh, during this time? I, I, I just recently saw a uh, video clip, uh, new tune by Vinyl Hampton. So, if those of you who have not followed that band, please do so. Some, some... Ooh, that music. Steve writes some hard music for trumpet. My this last one wasn't quite so crazy, but some stuff that he writes is hard. It's, I think it's hard. 
Yeah, well, I just, I mean, just the stuff you just got to pop off there. It's like, okay. It's never user-friendly. Don't tell Steve yeah. I said that. Yeah. But yeah, that, I mean, like, uh, I remember the first, I think Superstition was the first tune I heard you guys do. And I just listened to that horn chart and went, whoa, that's yeah, that's Steve's a stuff. fun writer, right? He's a fun writer. I think, I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. So are you guys just, you know, going to be working on some stuff, uh, more stuff or, you know, what, what do you guys got in the works? Um, I know he's trying to do his second record. Um, I think he wants to call each record a different color. So uh, we finished the red record, the red album. I think Maybe he's inspired by the Beatles and, yeah. and, Spinal, and Spinal Tap. So <laughs> <laughs> none more red. But um, I think this is the blue record. I think we might have to do a couple cuts like this where we where we, may, where we fly our parts in mm-hmm. and maybe do, and do it like that. You know, I, it was, you know, it's not as fun as playing with Steve, but it's, it's a good chance to have a chance, you know, to, to do some new projects and stuff like that, you know, but I'm just kind of looking forward to going back like everybody. I think everybody just wants to kind of get back to their, their life. And, you know, you know, it's like anything. It's like, we know we're comfortable when, when we start to complain about work again. You know? yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that's when we know, that's, you know, when we're back. Yeah, yeah, we're we're hundred percent into that. Um, yeah, one of the things that that I really enjoy about you, Frank, is um, you're you're definitely. I mean, one, you're just a hell of a player to begin with. So, I mean, they, they always respect the, the, the respect the the goods there. But you're uh, you have this really wonderful balance of. Uh, your personal ability, but uh, but also your cerebral ability uh, and your analytical ability. So you're you're able to to identify identify issues that people are having with their playing, uh, explain it in a very very clear way, but also get into the underlying factors. I mean, more than just the, the physiological approach to playing, you have a very uh, psychological, spiritual, if you will, approach to. Uh, to not just music in general, but the specifics of playing the trumpet. So, um, you know, what? How would you define uh, your approach to, to trumpet and trumpet pedagogy? You know, I went to school in North Texas. I went to North Texas State before they renamed it. And um, you know, I went from my high school had six trumpet players. You know, and uh, it's kind of like I kind of joke that if you if you practice at all, you're better than pretty much everybody, right? If you just uh-huh. play for 15 minutes, but um, to North Texas, which had 235 trumpet players auditioning for a big band. That wasn't even all the trumpets. So we go from six to 235, and then to go through an armature change around the right just before that, you kind of have to think about things. It's not so natural anymore, you know what I'm saying? You have to kind of ponder things a bit more. But I think I just it just makes sense to me. You know, I'm sure the same way. It just makes sense to you to think a certain way, and you realize that maybe not everyone thinks that same way, which is fine, but it's more that it just makes sense to me to to ponder things a certain way. I don't know how to say it any better, but, um, you know, I started reading a book called Zen of the Martial Arts, you know that book, Joe mm-hmm. Himes? And, um, you know, so I started kind of going to the Zen books, you know, in my lifetime over the years. But, you know, I know I just finished rereading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I still prefer Zen and the Martial Arts a little bit better, but, you know, just like taking like little nuggets of thought and layering those nuggets of thought. And so, um, it's so much because at the end of the day, it's like what makes whatever you want to do easier, mm-hmm. right? Not, not harder. But how much information is, is enough versus how much do you is is important but not needed. You know what I mean, and so I think when you go through an arbitrary change, you kind of have to like learn how to zen yourself through that. Mm-hmm. I've been through three, so um, you have to kind of if you don't adopt kind of a zen mentality about things, whew, 
it's hard. Don't you think? I think music is hard without that mentality. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's kind of interesting, you know, what what you were saying about you know the that Zen mentality when you're going through through the change that. Uh, you know, so many people like whatever you're changing, whether it's, it's your embouchure, your your gear, your you know what you're doing for a living, uh, right? That that any kind of change, uh, you can either have it be uh, directed change, you know, where you're consciously choosing to be involved in the process, or change is occurring by default. Because as much as we like to think that things aren't changing, it's it's happening. It's always changing. Um, so. Um, you know, when when you're going through your processes for your your, your personal anal, analysis of, of uh, what's occurring, um, are are you kind of starting with the end in mind, like thinking about well, what's the ultimate result that I want to get, and then try to find the the correct path, or uh, you know, kind of where's your jumping off point? You know, when I work with a student, for instance, like with a younger student, you know, I kind of I always say in college when I do I do I speak in universities a bit nowadays, and um, one of the things we talk about is, you know, in school, they don't tend to talk about what do you want your life to look like? Because if you, you might chase after a profession that's not going to give you a life that you want, even if you're, even if you're really good at it. Right. People look at, people look at X, Y, or Z player, but they never, they never stop to think that when they put their horn down, they have to do something. And is that something they have to do or get to do anything remotely like you want to do? And I think people don't, they lack, they, they think to hear, but they really need to think to hear. So once yeah. they think you're here, they realize that if you flip that around, like you said, end in mind, they flip that around, then you can see if you want to go through that dues for that result. Right. Because you might not. You might think, yeah, but I don't want to have to, you know, get beaten over the head five times a day just to have that two minutes a day of niceness. Right. You know, so, you know it's kind of like anything. If you, if you don't enjoy the end process, then you won't enjoy the dues you have to pay. Yeah. I think if you know you'll enjoy the end process, then the, then I don't call it work. It's because it's fun. But the the energy that you got to put in to get that thing, like an arbitrary change, you know that the other side. I always go by what's fun. You know, I always try to chase after what's fun. Will be fun to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, there's always work involved. You know, yeah. But it's like what's what's fun. So you think you know what would be fun for you? Like when you get up in the morning, you know, where do you want to live? Do you want to live in New York? Do you want to live in Chicago? Do you want to live in L.A.? I mean, do you really want to live in these places? I mean, you might think you do, but you know, if you want to live there, then you don't mind chasing after the process. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so then it's about analyzing the little steps that are in the way from you, like, you know, well, your, your car is great, the stereo is great, the seats are great. You know I mean, you've got seat warmers, but you're missing an engine. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So now you got the engine in place. That looks really good. It revs really great, but you only have three tires. It's like guys are like, yeah, but the seats are comfortable. Totally dig that, but you need tires as well right. as you might actually prefer the seats to be less comfortable if you can have tires, you know? And so guys are like, well, I like the way the car feels now. Yeah, because the car's up off the ground because you have tires. You know, it's it, crazy as it sounds. I've had, I've had conversations with people that are like that. Yeah. Where it's like, well, I don't like X, Y, or Z now. It's like, well, yeah, because if, you know, it's like, you know how when you have a plate for a few days and your chops are really good? Yeah. Like, well, you can't, you can't have that every day. Because you'd have to take off four days and then what? You know what I mean? So yeah. quite literally, the thing that they want, they can't actually have, but they have, they haven't thought that through yet. So mm -hmm. they're chasing after something they can't replicate. And so you have to kind of break down the little hurdles that are in the way of forward movement. But you got to make sure that forward movement is the place they want to go to. Make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So that's 
so one of the challenges, you know, one of the challenges of, of teaching or coaching is to be patient with a person while they reprogram their neural pathway, while they, while they do a workaround the bad habit mm-hmm. for the new habit, because it's hard to replace the bad habit. But you can maybe do a workaround. Mm-hmm. So it takes a second for the person to like be a bit pissed off that you mentioned that something was wrong. You know I mean, be a little bit frustrated because you're telling them what to do. And then realize that, you know, this person's just trying to help me. Yeah. So, you know, then they're doing the thing I want to do maybe. So maybe they understand how to do it. So let me let them help me. Mm-hmm. And once they kind of get around that, then the progress is, you know, it is the progress is fast. Yeah. The, the, the obstacle is, is there, it's their, their mentality about the obstacle. That's the problem, not the obstacle. Right. Exactly. So, so, you know, I think that's the hardest thing. I think it's trying to have a person understand that the obstacle is not the problem. Your, your mentality about the obstacle. So once we change that, then it's, then it's just forward motion. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same hundred yards, but you, it only takes you hundred yards of time to go hundred yards versus, you know, 500 yards of time because there's all that resistance. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't remember. I th- man, is it Ryan Holiday? Uh, I think that's what it was. I wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way. And, and that's, I mean, that's it. It's like, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're feeling the resistance on, that's generally indicative of the path that you need to take. And, you know, it, and, if, and if you don't want to take that path, then you really don't want to get that result because, you know, that is the process, you know. Well, isn't that why they write the stories? I mean, if you look at these, I always kind of say I'm working on a new project, which I'm just basically waiting for it to be edited because the person that does my editing, you, you can't edit your own book. It's just impossible. You can get yeah. close, but you need yeah. someone else to go, yeah, pages 53 through 90 suck. Yeah. You got to go back and rewrite them. You thought they were good, but, you know, you got to re- so um, I think that it's like you were saying before, I think the problem is they show these shows, I think millennials, you know, I made a joke about that the other day. I said, you know, you know, kryptonite for a millennial is the words hard work or earn it. Yeah. And I, said, I said, you know, the words earn it are like kryptonite to the millennial because all they see is two or three friends that have done really well online, or two or three people that have done well. They never stop to go back and realize that's 2%. You know what I mean? That's two yeah. percent. They just see that they don't. They don't want to know the work that went behind it. They don't want to know the story. And even if they do a rags to riches story, ever notice this? I read a story once about a lady who made a. Uh, she had a little thing they sold in QVC, and it was a uh, thing you put your hair in, and you pull it out, and it creates a braid. Okay. It, it was an. It was an ingenious idea. She made a million bucks, right? I used to use it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I did a little deep dive on this woman, and turns out. Um, she got the money for her, um, oh, I forgot what it's called now, the, uh, the machine that you put the plastic into and it comes out this mm-hmm. gadget. What's that called? Um, oh, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's a manufacturing machine. It's, it's the thing that, I forgot what it's called. The mold or the, the, the template? Yeah, the mold or the whole yeah. machine that you pour yeah. the plastic in, it creates. Yeah. Uh-huh. So her first one of those, <coughs> pardon me, um, she paid for by selling a book on kissing. She wrote a book on kissing, right? Okay. So, so that's really cool, right? Then you think to yourself, well, wait a second. Lots of people write books. How did she, um, how did she get enough money for a plastic injection molding machine? Mm-hmm. Turns out her husband was a publisher. But you, they don't say that in the rags to riches story. Right. They leave that part out. Because mm-hmm. then it's like, well, then that doesn't apply to you. Unless you're married to a publisher. Yeah. Or, or your significant other or someone that your family is a publisher. Well, they leave that part out. Because it doesn't make it sound so amazing anymore, does it? So I think the, the part that's hard is that for a lot of people is that the obstacles are much 
different. I wouldn't say bigger. They're just much different, I think, than people think that they are because they have not gone to the people that do. And I'm a huge, you know, David Goggins. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like drinking the Kool-Aid on David Goggins. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Just like in the past couple of weeks. And he talks about, um, kids said, yeah, I feel pretty good. I'm much better than I was before. And he said, well, what are you basing that on? Kids said, well, in high school, I couldn't run this at all. He goes, in high school? Well, so in other words, you're basing yourself on the worst version of you. Yeah. You dig? Yeah. So yeah. kids don't want to find out, you know, what it really took. If you really knew what it took to, to, to play like Tiger Woods, you may not want to get up at four in the morning every morning and, and play golf and train and do stuff from four in the morning to like six in the evening. You may not yeah. want to do that. Yeah. I think it sounds good, but after about a week of doing that, you know what I mean? People try yeah. to live like, you know, Casey Neistat, that uh, internet guy, they yeah. try to live like him for a week and it almost kills them. Yeah. It's like they realize that, yeah, I just want the end result. I want the, I want the mm -hmm. Lexus or I want the car. I want mm -hmm. to play with this band or, but go through an armature change and you see it's, it's hours of people think that you're not practicing. People think you're not warming up because you can't tell everybody you're going through an armature change. You can do certain things, but it can't do other things. Yeah. And so you're, you're just trying to, you know, you just, you're trying to run on a treadmill for a while, but people mm -hmm. don't realize that if they look and you're still in the same place. Meanwhile, you, you know, you and I both know you're running your butt off. Yeah. But to a person who doesn't know, it looks like you're kind of just making a little bit of progress, but in reality, you're running as fast as you possibly can until such time that it starts to build momentum. Mm -hmm. I feel like, Students don't really necessarily take the time to know what really goes into it, so they can discover if they even want to do it. Yeah, like you said, the obstacle is the way, but it's it's good to know what the obstacle is. Would you say so? You yeah. know if you can deal with it. Right, right, and that's and that's where you know a, whether you want to call it a coach, a teacher, a mentor, uh, whatever you want to call it, that's where it comes in. Yeah, you know, somebody that that has. If they haven't at least walked your specific path, they have they have walked enough paths and seen enough to be able to make some sort of an educated decision. And um, I went through this a lot with with a lot of my students who would say, "Hey, you know, I want to do what you do." I'm like, "No, you don't." No, you don't. And, yeah. and you know, and, and it wasn't like me being you know facetious or anything. It's like, look, I know you well enough to know what's important to you. And I know what it took me to do what I what I've been able to do with my life, and I know that that's not what you want. You don't want to give up, you know, going out and hanging out with your friends. You don't want to give up your career to to pursue a different thing. You don't want to do these things. So, you know, you're not going to get my results. So, you know, let's let's figure out what you really want, and then we can create a training regimen for you that will get you to your goal. Uh, but you know, it's it's going to be different because you know your your desires have to, what your desired outcome is has to be in alignment with what you're willing to pay. And you know, if you're not, you're gonna that's going to be a cause of, of stress and frustration, and you're going to end yourself, you know, just completely quitting. So, yeah. Well, because here's the cool thing about well, like for instance, like I thought you know when I was in college, you know, I thought about. The reason I went to college was I wanted to play with Basie. I wanted to play with Buddy Rich. I wanted to play, you know, at least in theory, I wanted to play with those kinds of bands because I saw those bands and I heard the guy playing lead trumpet. It just sounded like that was fun. Yeah. You, you don't know the work that's involved. It just sounds like fun. So that's always, it's like, well, start with fun and then do your investigation from there. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to have to pay dues. Do you mind paying them? Well, not really. You know, I've had long talks with Maynard Ferguson about this because, you know, he didn't really want it. People say Maynard was a lead player. Maynard didn't play lead. 
you know, Maynard kind of didn't mind being a soloist. He didn't mind being a soloist within a big band. He didn't mind, but I didn't, that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a conversation. He goes, you just want to play lead. I can tell it's like, that's what I want to do. I don't really even want to have to come out and trade with him because who on earth wants to trade with Maynard? But, um, yeah. and so, but you have to figure out what it is that you wanted, that you really want to do. And I think that's the hard part for people. They don't trade. In other words, people think they want a jet, right? But they yeah. don't want a jet because they want a jet for ego reasons. They think it'd be fun to have one. They can just go wherever they want. But when they realize how much, to quote Paul Schaefer, he said, we were, we were flying in a, in a private jet to do Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? The Letterman Band. And Paul came and he goes, this is how rich people go broke. You know, the yeah. old joke about what, the rich guy's two favorite days are a day he buys his boat and the next day, the next favorite day is the day he sells that boat. Yeah. I think there are certain realities that if you don't understand the reality of by talking to people that are doing that thing, then you can dream all kinds of stuff. But here's what happens. So you finally get that jet. First of all, the friends that you were trying to impress probably don't have a jet, right? So when you park your jet at Teterboro or whatever, what do you see? A bunch of bigger jets because now you're with the jet set, so to speak. And now you feel, now the thing that was going to give you this huge swelling of pride you kind of feel embarrassed now because the guys that actually do have jets are not impressed by you at all. Right. So then you have to ask yourself, why on earth did you want a jet? Well, it wasn't for fun. It was for ego. And so people chase after musical, you know, the people all the time, they ask me to teach them to play high notes, which is why I don't teach that. You know, I teach what we're talking about because I always ask them what context do they want to be able to play a high G or high F. They look at me like context. What do you mean context? Well, if you're going to play a high F in a brass quintet, that's going to be a different approach than if you're going to try to play Buddy Rich's book or Frank Foster's book. That's a different kind of hi-hat, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And so if you want me to teach you to play that way, that's a whole different approach than teaching you to play on F on piccolo trumpet, you know? But they've not even thought past that. So I'm realizing they don't want to learn how to play hi-hat for musical reasons. They want to play a hi-hat for ego reasons, mm-hmm. which is why I don't teach high notes for a lot of guys, because they're not looking at it as far as like trying to create something other than, hey, look at me. Right. And as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of guys out there that'll teach you to play high notes for the "Hey, look at me" reason. That's not. I'm too much of a Roy Hargrove fan to think about doing anything for other than it's fun and it's kind of how you feel versus you know, "Hey, look at me." I mean, yeah. does that make sense? I don't know if I said uh, that. Uh, right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got you on that because I, it, having been at so many um, conventions, I mean, actually, that's where we first met was uh, at ITG in uh, like nineteen eight seventy nineteen. 1875. 1875. Yeah, we we uh, we took our covered wagons down there. <laughs> but you know, you you walk you walk through the uh, ex- exhibition hall, and it's like uh, oh, yeah. it, it's either a you know a sea of double C's, the, the the you know coming at you from there. Then you've got you know the the jazz guys who are who are trying to play the fastest bebop lick that they ever could, or you've got the classical guys who are either playing you know pictures at an exhibition or, you know, some, you know, uh, art, the Artunian, you know, and it's just like, you know, really, you know, is that, is that, is that what playing trumpet is to you is, is to try and impress everybody in the room? Because when, when they're doing that and you've got guys like, you know, you and Wayne or, you know, like I remember Doc Severinsen walking through a room uh, and just, shaking his head because it's like, it's like it's, it doesn't impress the people the people that you're trying to impress that's not going to impress them 
So uh, that that approach, I think, is is really missing. So like when when you're working with somebody, uh, how do you get them to start to readjust their their sights or to come to a better understanding on on what it is that they they really want to do and how to get them to that point? Uh, you know, what's funny is that um, one nice thing about doing the Dizzy Gillespie band is um, as weird as this might sound to say this so matter of factly, is that you get to spend time watching what John Faddis does. Like we, we, um, I'll get back to this book. We got, we were doing a, we were doing a show in, um, in Monaco and we had to fly into Nice. You know, it is you fly into Nice and drive, you know, so we had two flights. We had to come up with So none of us had a chance to warm up. And, we, and that's a hard book, especially for Faddis, you know, minute. and, uh, so Giz, you know, Greg Gisbert, yeah. you know, he and I were like, we, we need to warm up. We, we want to see how John warms up when he doesn't have time to warm up. Cause we basically left that morning. He didn't play. Nobody played. So we're like, how does John do the thing he does with no warm up? You know what I mean? And so I'm not going to tell you cause that's our little secret. You got to do the homework first. But, um, so what I also got to see is what does Randy Brecker do on an airplane? What does Claudio Radita do on an airplane? What does Greg Gisbert do on an airplane? What does Roy Hargrove do on an airplane? Cause you can kind of learn a bit. I mean, that's just the trumpet guys. You can kind of learn a bit about people's process, about how they create that thing. They're sort of famous for creating. Mm-hmm. You get to see a little bit of their process when you're on the road with them. Yeah. You know, what do some guys do crossword puzzles and don't listen to music at all. Some guys just talk about politics. Some guys, all they do is listen to music and talk about music. It's it's really all over the map. But the guys that I really like, you know, that I really want to know about, what's their process? Because I want to understand when they make the music they make, what's their process? Like if you were to hear Roy Hargrove try a new horn out at Dylan's, you wouldn't know he's Roy Hargrove. He would go, of all things. Or he'd go, and he'd walk out of the store. Because mm-hmm. all he would do, he might go, bah, 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 that's it, he'd walk out of the store. You'd think, that's Roy. You would, but Roy, you know, he could tell he's had some training. He's had some, you know, he, you know he, he's doing stamp exercises or he's doing chickowitz blow studies. It's like, you wouldn't think Roy Hargrove would do chickowitz or, or stamp, would you? Right. I don't think you would ever put those two together. You wouldn't think stamp Roy Hargrove, would you? I, I don't think that's no. but, but that's what he did. Isn't that crazy? And so you start realizing that with Roy, it's not about, showing off or showing Roy shows off on stage. Yeah. But I think if you're not on stage, then you got to find a place to show off. I think maybe that's the trade off. You got to yeah. find your stage. And for some people, ITG is their stage. You know, that, that, that room, that testing room is their stage. And so we're seeing them on stage. Whereas Roy, he's like, I don't got time for this because I have to go on to the different stage. Yeah. So um, I think how we go about it is based on kind of that. It's like, how are we seeing, ourselves and what is it that we're shooting for like when you hear Roy play you can tell he's shooting for something quite different than when you hear some other guys play that don't you know Roy I'll just tip I'll just tip his hand a bit some guys you sit and they'll and they'll move their fingers on their trade tables right mm-hmm. or they'll, you can see them working stuff out right but here's what here was Roy Roy's either so you know back in the days when you could just tap someone's uh iPod and you could see what they're listening to yeah so Roy would fall asleep right and so he was either listening to Sonny Rollins or like some R&B. And this is, this, I, I don't know how many flights I've had with Roy, a couple hundred? Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I, I would always wait for him to fall asleep and see what he was listening to. 
because he's dead now, so he can't kick my ass. But yeah, <laughs> my butt. Sorry, sorry, mom and dad. But um, it was pretty astounding. It's like, but then when you hear Roy play, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But some, but some guys they may not want to do it because they they don't like that kind of music. They don't like the stylistic, so they don't like the whispers, or they don't like you know. What I mean, they don't like that kind of music, so they wouldn't want to incorporate that into their playing because they just don't hear music that way. Mm-hmm. But Roy definitely did, you know. So they kind of wonder how Roy can do what he does because. Roy's music is informed by that. Right. Because he likes that. Yeah. If you don't like that, then your music will be informed by something else. Sometimes mm-hmm. people's music is informed by what's, what's the highest note, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, you know. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that, and that's a big part of why I do this podcast. And uh, I, because I want people to understand the player. Uh, yeah. Not just, not how they do what they do. But the whys, they do what they do. And the, those are the more important questions. When you start to get into the mindset, when you start to get into uh, their, their approach to things other than music, that, that's what informs, like you were saying, it informs your playing. So, uh, yeah, that, I, that, that's 100% like in alignment with my, my approach to life, for better or worse. Uh, so, actually, I want to ask this, this question to you. Um, what is the one question? I mean, because I know you get asked tons of questions. What's the one question that you wish someone would come up to you and say, hey, Frank, here it is. Please give me an answer to this. No, that's super easy. Hey, man, would you would you like my brand new Lamborghini Huracan? I would say, yeah, of course, but no one ever asked that. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Selfish, selfish, selfish. All I think about is, um, you know, it's hard. I think that... Um, I think most of the time I kind of wish people would ask not just me of themselves is why do they want the thing they think they want? I think we have a lot of folks in this country for sure. We're on autopilot. You know, I get, I get it. I think, but it's more, you know, uh, Mel Robbins speaker, Mel Robbins. She talks about this. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you know her thing. She talks about how most people, our brains work. We are either on autopilot or, or break. Yeah. Right. And so um, I told my wife, she's a yoga person. Year, years ago, I jokingly, when I first met her, I said, you know, this mindfulness thing everyone talks about? She said, yeah. I said, that's just, that's garbage. She went, what? I said, it's garbage because you can't be mindful. You know, the reason I said is, you know, when you meet somebody and like two minutes later, you can't remember their name. Being mindful is very difficult. What you say? It's extremely yeah. difficult. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And so if you have a way of remembering, so let's say someone's name is like, um, uh, Frank, so when you th- when you see them, you think of the hot dog, right? Yeah. So you you train your subconscious to go Frank hot dog, Frank hot dog. You'll probably it'll go straight to your subconscious because mm-hmm. your subconscious already knows hot dog, mm-hmm. right? So just associates the two. So when you see me, you see me, you think hot dog, you know my name, right? Because you put it into your autopilot right. part of your brain, mm-hmm. right? But having to remember things. It's hard to do. It's hard to make shopping lists. We, we can't remember. Being mindful is very difficult. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I don't want to say impossible because you see these monks that can remember like, you know, 4,500 sets of numbers. So there is that. But yeah, I think the trick is, is to like learn how to reprogram our auto, autopilot so that our natural inclination is to, to do the things that work. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that I really try to work with the students is to understand how to reprogram your autopilot so that 
it makes sense to do the thing that works versus you have to keep breaking the same bad habit and be mm-hmm. mindful of what the good habit is. It's like, no, take the time to slow down, isolate this thing. So I kind of wish they would ask me, you know, kind of in a, in a way that they probably wouldn't think to ask, which is how do I better inform my autopilot so that success and what I, success doesn't mean money to me. Success doesn't mean gigs. Success just means you have this and you want to have this. You know what I mean? I, I live here, but I like to go visit China. When you go visit China, successful, you know? Yeah. I want to go buy some more, we don't have enough toilet paper, and then an hour later you have more toilet paper, also successful. It just really is just, is what do you what do you have, what do you want that you don't have now? It could be anything. Yeah. And so, whether it's, you know, you want to play with Liza Minnelli or you want to play with, uh, you know, Liza Koshi, I don't know, but it's whatever you want. So, for whatever you want, I want you to, to develop a set of habits that are autopilot that take you towards your thing so that you don't create, like you said, create artificial barriers. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you can't go out because you feel like that there are monsters outside, then, you know, you'll forget to put on your warm coat and you'll die because you're so busy thinking about things that aren't true. You forget to think about things that are true. Like, you know, it's, it's two degrees outside. You should put on your warm coat. Yeah. You know, like that. So if there's one thing I wish students would do is understand that one of the things they need to do is how to, think past their obstacles, but we talked about this before. Yeah. How to think about their past their obstacles. And I'm sure you do a fair share of that in your teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Besides the Lamborghini thing, I mean that'd be great. Yeah, well, you know. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah. But I mean even even then, yes, like we you know, going back to our uh, some of the earlier portions of our conversations, um, I've always heard people say mostly related to things like cars. It's like it's not a question of whether you can afford to buy the car. It's whether you can afford to maintain it. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, the thing that there's a lot of things that people can do and they can get uh, skill wise, gig wise, um, and you can get it, but can you afford to maintain it? Can you, can you keep a level of consistency? Yeah. Do you, cause I think it's like, do you really want it? It's like, right, exactly. So you get a jet. That's why they like, that's why you buy the boat and you sell the boat because the keeping of the boat is a pain in the rear end. I think, People think about the people say to me they want to do a Broadway show, but you know, doing a Broadway show means you're doing the same basic show every day. And if that's not okay with you, then you're not gonna you're gonna get a show and hate hate going to work. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and and yeah. So yeah, you 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 know you you want to be on a a hit Broadway show, but you know it's not going to last six months, you know, it could be six years that you're on that run, and and you don't want to be that guy that's like ah, uh, you know eight weeks into it you want to quit because you're bored with it well you know maybe you're not going to get another gig after that so you know yeah maybe so i think you have to decide what's fun i think but i think you can't decide in your own mind i think you said people live in their own mind maybe a little too much Mm -hmm. so um so david goggins you know was talking about you know get out of your mind the only way to do that is if you know if you know like for instance if you get a person who i studies the idea of running right Mm-hmm. And they every day they, they they read the book and they practice lifting up their knees and they do all the stuff you're supposed to do. It's like the beginning of the Karate Kid where the kid was watching videos on karate, remember? Yeah. And he was, thought he had it. He knew just enough karate to get his butt kicked, right? Just enough to get to get to get totally creamed every yeah. day. And so Mary Miyagi said, "Yeah, we're not doing that." So turn off the TV and I'll show you how because he knows how. Now the kid didn't want to pay the dues, so he tricked him into paying the dues, right? Remember yeah. that? So I feel like. That's why we have to, I think the word apprenticeship becomes important. I think young people don't want to, to become like an apprentice. They think they should get money when they shouldn't. Um, 
Gary Vaynerchuk. You know Gary, Gary, yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah, Gary V. Yep. Someone asked him if some young person who's 20, 24 years old said, is it worth my time to do X, Y, or Z? And Gary said, well, what are you doing now? And the kid basically wasn't doing much of anything. He said, are you in your career? No. Are you, t- are you like in the beginning of being in the, are you in the middle of your career? Do you know the Michael Phelps of your career? No. He says, well, then here's the newsflash for you. Your time's not worth F all. And the kid was like, what? He goes, you're not doing anything. Yeah. Here's a chance to learn something and actually grow in this field that you say you want to grow. And you're worried if it's worth your time, your time's not worth anything. If, yeah. if people aren't coming to you to take your time from you, you know, like you look at some of these guys, they get 35, 40 calls a day. You know, someone like Wayne Bergeron, you know, I, I've hung out with Wayne. Wayne, here's, here's what lunch is like with Wayne Bergeron. Every five minutes you're, burr, burr, burr. see what I'm saying? It's like every 10 minutes you're hearing that. If, if people are not trying to get, if people aren't wanting, wanting parts of your time to include into their life, you know what I'm saying? Then yeah. you're not there yet. Yeah, I, I thought that you were saying that, that Wayne had really bad gas issues. Yeah, well, no, he but, might, but luckily, I, you know, he always sits down when some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've known Wayne almost 30, maybe 36 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. Because yeah. I'm only 37, so it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, you knew Wayne before you came out of the womb. Kind so. of. We had this handshake agreement. Uh, sorry, that's too gross. But anyway, uh, you get what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. I think that the hardest thing that I think younger people trying to take for granted is like we didn't do the work yeah you know but i knew bobby shoe i I made sure to know bobby shoe when i was 14 mm-hmm. you know um i've known allison balsam but i wanted to know allison balsam you know so i made sure to make sure i could know allison balsam now it's easier when you're when you're you know say you know we jimmy fallon for instance was at the um was downstairs at the uh lincoln center jazz lincoln center thing and so you know, he's kind of kind of in that mode where he's like, I just want to be able to, you know, do this thing. Please don't bother me. You know how it is. So yeah. my wife and I, we said, oh, it's Jimmy Fallon. So I wanted to say, hey. So I said, hi. He goes, hey, how you doing? I said, hey, I just talked to um, X, Y, or Z about you because we're going to be coming on your show because of X, Y, or Z. And once he realizes that we're sort of in the same tribe of people, mm-hmm. all of a sudden he didn't go, hey, don't bother me. He said, hey, now we're, now we're talking. He says, hey, if you want to come to the show, call this person. They'll get you tickets to the show. I said, well, I know you're a trumpet player. I know some of the other guys. He said, oh, well, then you're cool. But if, they, if it doesn't work, then I'll... it went from, hey, how you doing? To like, hey, here's how you get into the show for free. Right. You know, whenever you want to go. And it's, I think kids don't realize in order to be in the tribe, in tribes of this sort, you have to do the work and it takes a minute. Yeah. You know, it's like you can be a, you can palm press and smile and do it sooner or later, though. You got to take out your horn and play. Yeah. And that's well, what yeah. they're going to see if you're doing the work or not. You know? Yeah. Well, I, and, and it's it's either it's either proving yourself as uh, an equal, or in some cases, and this is this has mostly been my case, is by providing uh, providing a service that they don't normally get. So you know, it's like I can't I cannot impress you or Wayne or Bobby Shue with my playing, but. I can provide, you know, conversation. I can, you know, I could be, I can be someone that can provide insights that maybe, you know, you don't have. Uh, and then that's like, okay, now we have a relationship because I'm bringing something to the table. You're bringing something to the table and we work together as opposed to, Hey dude, you're famous. I want to hang out with you, but you know, all I want is for you to pick up the tab. So <laughs> another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, because, you know, we talk about this idea. We you know I talked about it before. It's like my wife and I, when I do coaching, I talk to kids about this concept. It's like in many ways, you're kind of like, it's not, everything's not so cut and dry, obviously, but there's like a fundamental where we're either the guru or the conduit. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's important to realize which one we fundamentally are in any situation. I think right. there are people like Oprah Winfrey. She's a conduit, but she's a billionaire conduit because hardly anybody, Oprah doesn't sit just by herself and talk. You know, she brings great guests that talk to her about their experience and then she shares, but they're using her like, you know, Dave Letterman, he's, he's a conduit by which people can talk about their movie and stuff. So you can be a millionaire, multi-millionaire con- conduit, but you can also be a guru. Like, like, let's say people go to Bikram right now. You know, if you go to Bikram for yoga, and all, you know, the scandals aside, you know, he's not a conduit. He's a conduit of information. We all are. Right. Um, but he's he's more of a guru. Now, I think you can be a guru over here and be a conduit over here. And that, that's to me when you get the best. Right. Because they understand what they're being at that moment. I think yeah. sometimes people can't. So what happens, you know, as I do, you'll see guys that are, they, they're basically conduits, but they'll write a book about their thinking. Yeah. Like people aren't people aren't buying you that way you know it's like if all of a sudden kentucky fried chicken started selling lighter lighter fluid it's like hey get this kentucky fried chicken uh lighter fluid it's like we don't buy you that way you know i mean people we like to think in one dimensions as far as how we buy things would you say yeah yeah and so if you're a guru that's cool if you're a guru if you're a conduit that's cool but don't don't start being a, a conduit guru because it's too confusing i don't want that if i want a guru for the thing you're trying to be a guru for i'll go over here yeah because all the guys that you're interviewing never say, hey, I'll see you at the Olympics. You know, yeah. you're interviewing Michael Jordan. He doesn't say to me, hey, Frank, I'll see you at the, uh, you know, at the, at the, on, on court at the, at the finals. Because I won't be on court at the finals. You know what I mean? But I can talk to him. But I have to understand that maybe over here I might be a guru about how to play, how to have endurance on the trumpet. Yeah. But I'm talking to Michael Jordan. I'm a, guru, I'm a conduit. Yeah. I think the trick is to, like I said, I think for people to understand which one they are. And I think sometimes people don't like being the peanut butter on a delicious sandwich. They want to be the whole sandwich. Yeah. I think that's sometimes the problem. You know, yeah. just, you know, just enjoy being part of a great sandwiches because sometimes you're lucky to get that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely. Uh, now you made me hungry. Damn it. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just put, throw a little marshmallow on there and, and then it's good. Peanut butter and marshmallow sandwich is one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, um, you so thin. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, speaking of books and being an author, um, how many books have you written, Frank? You know, it's funny. So I kind of write for the, the, the thing that I'm doing. And so I haven't, really, I haven't really published, I mean, for sale published everything that I've written. But I've probably written about nine books at this point over the years. I mean, there's one thing, because I was, remember I was writing a book called Brass Concepts, which I, I'm not sure if I want to put back out, because there's so many trumpet books out there now. But um, I wrote it when I was on Manders Band, because so many times we would do clinics and students would forget what we talked about the next time we saw them a year later. So I thought I'd just start putting everything into book form that we would talk about. I would call it, I call it brass concepts, but it basically was our Maynard, our Maynard clinics in a book form, you know, from our, from, from my point of view as a lead player with Maynard. I mean, so here's a book from my lead as a lead player from Maynard as to like how to approach playing and endurance. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. But there's so many high note books and there's so many things that are out now. I just kind of feel like that's, that's kind of covered maybe. But, um, you know, all the guys would go to the bar and I'd be in my room, you know, typing away on my computer and, and uh, you know, the guys would be trying to find a place to eat. I'd be trying to find a Kinko's, right? So I can mail off like, well, back in the day, right? You mail off your books because you can't, there was no internet, you know, sending of books back then. You know, but I think, I just want to try to write and try to try to be helpful. You know, it is, you're doing the same. You know, try to just be helpful. You know, if you can yeah. be helpful, yeah. why not be helpful? Yeah. Now your, your last book, because I, I did have Brass Concepts and uh, I thought it was a great book. Uh, but your last book, uh, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> Shameless self-plug coming up, ready? Yeah. Sure yeah. Let, let's see. I, I knew that. I knew that. Uh, Available so, at Amazon.com. <laughs> so buy your copy today and, you know, buy, buy three. Uh, but I, the idea that, um, you know, the, I, I, I love the idea of the TPK. So, uh, and, and we've kind of touched on that without calling it TPK. Uh, so, could you please explain to uh, our audience what you mean by TPK and the importance of it? In this in this book here, available at Amazon.com. <laughs> um, I'll put a link. There'll be a link in the show notes. So, if you want it, there you go. The, the thing about this book, the reason I wrote this particular book this way was because of this idea we talked about before. It's like, how much can we put on autopilot, right? And that's the idea. So I always discourage anyone from reading the book cover to cover because that's not the point of it. Uh, the idea is that just pick the book up, flip it open, and read one or two. And then that way, that way the idea just goes in your head as a simple idea. It gets put in, and you can work with it. I think um, if you try to read read too much, then it's, it, you're, over, you're overloading the process. In other mm-hmm. words, it's like you're trying to get – what's Frank? Remember Frank West? Yeah, Frank Fresh would say without the, without the expletive, he'd say it's uh, 10, 10 pounds of poop in a five pound bag. You know? Yeah, and so um, like I'll talk like this. I this I'm just flipping over to the, you know to this page number sixty four. Talk about good ego versus bad ego, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you ever notice people are two minds about things sometimes, and it says the good ego wants us to enjoy a pleasure, pleasurable and profitable life, right? And connect, and your good ego will always run TPK. Because TPK will explain, you know, I'll just spend a second, how to do that. Your bad ego wants to run away from scary things, right? It, it wants to assume it already knows everything. It wants to self-mentor. We talk about that, right? So, and that's that's right here. I'm reading from this this part here. And it's kind of true. It's like the, the egotistical of us don't want TPK. And TPK stands for those who've proven to know. Because if you go to someone who's proven to know, they might tell you, we're afraid they might tell us that we're so far off base or that we so lack talent, or we so lack ability, we're just afraid they're going to tell us no. Mm-hmm. Because we know they know what they're talking about, there's a good chance that, that no actually means no. So I also talk about the power of three in this book, which is um, if you talk to two people, one says you can't and one says you can, well, the third person breaks the tie. So if you go to three TPKs with a similar thing and you play for them, if all three say, yeah, but you have a pretty good chance of doing it, then you have a pretty good chance of doing it. You know, what you yeah. say, you know, experience that your yeah. own life. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why I start the book talking about TPK, because we shouldn't try to figure out how well we're doing, because people that know what they're doing already know what you need to know because they're doing it. And they, all, they understand the process and they can help us with the process. And so we have to get past our bad ego and look at the good ego, because the good ego just wants to have fun. Mm-hmm. It wants to put other friends, wants to have conversations like this. Our good ego wants to do that. Our bad ego, you know, 
wants to like show up like in a three piece suit for this interview and always be showing you my you know fifty thousand dollar watch and make sure it gets on camera. That's the bad ego, mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? And so oh, yeah. that's like so some guys want to they want to learn how to play a high F because that's their bad ego. I mean, like I know my role when they hire me as a lead player, right? And so part of that is, you know, Jimmy Heath on the end of, uh, of um, one of the tunes, he puts his hands up in a victory pose and I have a high F. So it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what he's wanting from me at that moment. Right. Right. And he puts that tune towards the end sometimes. So he's thinking that I want that note, but I also, I also want you to have enough left in the tank for that note, mm -hmm. you know? But, but if you listen to his music, it's not high note music. It's like saxophone line music. Right. And so he, he like different, different people want different things. And so one of the things I'm lucky to do is that going to North Texas, I was, I had a lot of TPK, you know, a lot of people I knew that I could ask, you know, I met Fattis, I met John when I was 19 or 18. And so I was able to ask a lot of people, Hey, is this right? You know, Hey, I'm thinking this, is this right? I, don't, I didn't have to guess very much. Like when the book says guesses make messes, right? Mm -hmm. There's another thing from the book. Guesses make messes. I didn't have to guess very much because I was surrounded by so many people that clearly knew better than me. But I could just go say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm doing. Is that right? Yeah. And they would say, that's right, but this is not quite right. And I can, they can just help me. So now certain things just feel sort of natural to think about certain things in a certain way that I think maybe would have not thought seemed so obvious without their help. Yeah. You know? That's a long-winded version of it. Yeah, well, that, that's 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 fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a couple things that. Uh, well, well, one, I mean, I just uh, last year released a book of my own, and I, very much like with you, it was. It's very very short. It's not designed to be like a sit down and, and study study. It's yeah, what what they call a an, an airplane book, something you can read on a flight. Um, but and but just trying to to give you know, digestible chunks of information right. on, on on very deep concepts. So uh, you know I, I love that idea. I think that approach works so well because you know you're like you said yeah when you're trying to put you know ten ten bags ten pounds of, of, of shit in the five pound bag it doesn't it, it doesn't work you know so I like that. But one one of the things I did love. Um, and when you're talking about the the, the rule of the uh, you know find the first three, that's perfect. Uh, I mean, there's actually an old saying uh, uh, by Confucius. It's uh, uh, walking among three people. I find my teacher among them. I choose that which is good in them and follow it, and that which is bad and change it. You know, so it's that idea that there you know that that there is that that power that you find, and that number three is is kind of a powerful one. Um, but I loved uh, your uh, your. I guess chapter or or rule number twenty one that uh, too many silly sallies. Uh, oh yeah, let me flip open. Let me flip open. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a reading by by uh, Frank David Green, <laughs> author reading. Oh well, see, that's a big one. I mean, don't get me started on the school thing. I mean, I think that. I think it's one of those things where if you're, if I'm a teacher, you know, I've got certain things I have to adhere to because I've got a syllabus, right? And although mm -hmm. I might, I might have ideas about things, I may not have time to really embrace all those ideas because I have a certain number of things that need to be taught. And then, and then, and then my students have to be able to show they've been taught that every semester. So it becomes more vital, I think, for, for schools to have people like me come over, at least even an adjunct way. Maybe they don't bring me in 
uh, as part of the curriculum, but maybe I just come in and I do a talk for students, you know, at, at the student union or even at a close nearby place that we can all convene. Because um, they need, one of the nice things about when I was in North Texas, we all took lessons from a guy named Don Jacoby. Mm -hmm. And Don Jacoby, he lived near campus and we took trumpet lessons from him, but he was not part of the curriculum at school. Matter of fact, a couple of teachers didn't want a couple of teachers didn't want us to study with them. But one of the things we learned from Don Jacoby was what was real. We learned some fundamentals at school that were very valuable, but the extra stuff, the intangibles that people don't know about, you learn those things from people that are not necessarily part of the curriculum because Don didn't have Don didn't have to answer to anybody. When you're a teacher, you have to answer to people because you're working for them. You have to answer to them. But when you're just teaching like him or a teacher like me, I don't have to answer to anybody per se. So I can just say, hey, look, I'm not sure what your teacher is saying. Maybe they're saying this. Maybe they're not saying this. But this has been my experience. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, and so if you want to play, I mean, if you, look, if you want to play at the White House, this is what we did. You know what I mean, if you want to play on television, this is what I did that kind of led up to that. These are the things that happened that kind of led to this, you know. Um, how you get how you get hired to play with these kinds of people? Well, these are the things that I did that led to that. So I'm going to only speak from my experience. I'm not going to generalize mm -hmm. because I can tell you specifically if you want this, and this is how that happened. You know, maybe a teacher may not be able to do that because, first of all, the students don't ask specific questions very much. Students are really, as you know, students are not great at asking specific questions. And so, when they say in um, software, garbage in, garbage out, right? When you do yeah. software, if you ask a bad question, you get a bad answer. Mm -hmm. So, so someone has to say, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but I can do that in a way the teacher can't because they've got a certain amount of time to do a certain thing and they can't be dealing with everyone's questions and then fundamentally get to the, the root of what's really going on that take too long. Right. So I think that's why it's nice. And some schools are kind of coming around to this idea. And so they're starting to bring people like me. I mean, great. If you bring me in, that's great. But it doesn't have to be me. There are people, other people that do this. You do this. Mm -hmm. It's like bring someone in from the outside because students need that balance of the inside and the outside. Some teachers are all playing and stuff like that, but sometimes the connections you make because you're a teacher aren't as real for a student who can't leverage that. I mean, let's just right. be honest. I think sometimes if you're an educator, it gives you a bit of leverage, which isn't a bad thing, mm -hmm. but, but your student doesn't have that leverage. So they can't utilize that thing. So they might see you do X, Y, or Z, but part of that, maybe 5% of that's because of that leverage mm -hmm. or that relationship. But those students don't have that relationship, so they're going to have to do something else, which is why bringing me coming in, they get, they get to see both sides of that equation. Right. So it doesn't have to be me, but it should be somebody. I think schools are starting to catch on to the fact that we're to, to get our students really ready, and when students start asking the question of, you know, show me your track record. Show me, that, show me that. I understand you have a jazz degree, but show me how this jazz degree is creating jazz performers. I have a jazz performance degree, but am I, am I jazz performing? Yeah. You know, when I leave school, if not, then I need to figure out why not. Yeah. And so, and so that's why guys like us might come in and go, well, the reason you might not be jazz performing is because you've not started, you didn't seek out TPK the second you got to school. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so things like that, you know, so. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, that's so important. I think with, um, it, not just music education, but just educa uh, education in general, like our, our, our public schools are, uh, um, that, I read a really interesting book. It was called The End of Average. And it was talking about how our educational system uh, is basically uh, 
was heavily influenced by the Industrial Revolution and what was trying to be done at that point in time of you want people to sit down, you want them to learn a task, you want them to be able to do that task, and that's it. Henry Ford. That's exactly what Henry Ford wanted, right? Yeah. So pull the lever and you're good. Yeah. So it's not about developing critical thinking skills. And that's what's important for getting to the deep learning is your ability not to just take in information and then spit it back out. Deep learning is that ability to take that information and to dissect it and pull it apart and, and put it back together and ask questions. Uh, questions that will help lead to the deeper understanding. And I think, you know, with with so many students uh, across the board, uh, but, you know, specifically in music, you know, you, you get to these things where it's like, well, hey, you know, well, Frank, Frank played with Maynard, so everything he says I've got to listen to because he did that. Well, yeah, to a degree, you, you've got the track record, but still everything needs to be taken and it needs to be considered and it needs to be thought about and you need to be able to ask the questions of, well, well, why did this work for him and, and how will this work for me? So, yeah. I think, I, having that, I think having that person right there, first of all, too, and it's like, you know, we talked about this, but because you know from this doing what you're doing, you know, I think people, I, I hate the word networking. It's like my least favorite word because I say to students all the time, you want to be networked? Nobody wants to be networked. You know, that sounds, sounds kind of cold. It's yeah. like, it's a relationship building. It's like, look, there's, there's kind of a, I wouldn't say an art to it, but there's definitely a way to go about building relationships with people that's more more organic, more real, that's more um, real for what's really happening with relationships. It's like, I don't mind relationships being transactionary. It's like, because it's a joyous transaction. Hey, can you hey, can you come over and go with me X, Y, or Z? Yeah, here's a transaction. Hey, I have my friend that's rich that died left me two, two Lamborghinis. Do you want one? Yeah. That's, but it's based on a relationship. Yeah. The fact that my friend would even know I would want a Lamborghini. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. kind of thing. So I think students, what their problem is, they, have, they don't have enough relationships, especially powerful relationships, relationships that are upward, like David Goggins. If, all yeah. your, if you're like the best of the average, that's not where you want to be. Right. Well, everyone's just kind of average or kind of, it's like if you, if like, you know, if Michael Phelps is saying, hey man, show me how to do that, that stroke, then you're onto something. You know what I mean? And so, I think that, like you said, I think that um, the end of average, we, we are not in that world anymore. We're not really in that world where the, there's the safe jobs are going away because, you know, the, you know, the, you just watch this monitor all day and um, you could be a security guard for a parking lot, right? Yeah. Well, they got robots that can do that now, mm-hmm. you know, but I've never seen a robot that can play, a, play like Roy Hargrove. I've yet to see a robot that can play like Maynard or like, yeah. like you know, I went Marcellus or or even Allison or, or uh, Tina Helseth or, I mean, or Phil Smith. I've never heard a robot do that. Yeah. You know, and they're all very, they're all very different. Have you heard a robot that plays like Fattis? I and mean, they're all, they're all very different, but there's a human quality that you can't replace. In other words, if I'm flipping burgers at McDonald's, pretty soon a robot will do that. Yeah. And then, so the question you have to ask yourself, people are talking about minimum wage, right? It's like, why are you focusing on the minimum wage? Right? Yeah. Why on earth? That means you're not thinking about yourself in a big enough way. If you're if you're worried about the minimum wage. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if you really think about what you enjoy, one thing I say to students is what what do people come to you for? If you stop and think about it, really people go, I don't know what to do. It's like, sure you do. First of all, you kind of probably already know, but you don't want to admit it. Second of all, what do people come to you for? You know, to help build something, to solve a problem, relationship problem, or 
I can't figure out this math problem. I can't figure out this science problem. You know, my, my airplane won't fly. I can't build a treehouse. You know, I mean, can you help me with my boyfriend, with my husband? Can you help me? Whatever. People tend to come to us for certain things, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, I feel like it's like a spiritual way of, of the, the powers that be saying, this is what you're good at, whether you want to admit it or not. You radiate this thing, which is why people come to you for that thing, mm-hmm. to, help, to help create balance for them. They come to you. Right. And so it's like, you know, when you, when a band leader turns around and sees that you're there, that you weren't, you weren't the rehearsal, you weren't the sound check, but they see they weren't sure if you're sitting in a sub, they turn around, they see, they go, Oh, thank goodness you're here. You, that's what you want. Yeah. Cause they're, they're wanting that. They're wanting that thing that you give them. They're wanting that. That's why you're there. And so yeah. whatever that might be, whether sometimes it is that you can just play a high note at the end of the night. Sometimes it's that when it gets soft, it's nice. It still maintains its intensity at soft levels. It could right. be anything, but I think the trick is to realize what we're talking about. If we're worried about being average, if we're worried about being a cog in a wheel and playing it safe, I feel like that's the most dangerous thing you could do now. Would you say? Oh, yeah. Like it's very dangerous to think about how can I hide? I think you could do that, but I think as we go on, we're seeing that people that don't mind putting themselves out there and learning from TPK are the ones that tend to do pretty well. You know, they've always done pretty well anyway. All the CEOs that I know, I mean, my dad was a CEO, I get it, but um, they're that way anyway. They were that way, but it, was, but it wasn't cool. But we kind of have to be that way now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, why, why reinvent the wheel? You know, if somebody has already figured out a way to be successful, uh, it's like the first, the first person that does it, you can say maybe it's luck. Uh, the second person that does it, you're kind of going, okay, there, there's something to this. And if more than three people have been able to do it, then the only thing that separates you from them is either you don't have the, you know, the, the, you haven't learned the skills yet, so you're, you're lacking knowledge, which then you can get from them, or you just, you're lazy, you know, you're just not doing the work. So, you know, it, it, so it, it's, 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 it's one or the, it's usually a combination of the two, but yeah, it's like, as soon as I, if I, if I can see three people who have done something, I'm going, well, okay, I just got to learn how to do it. And the best way to learn is do what they did. You know, at least start there. That's yeah, the you least start there. Yep. I have a you question just, for you. Yep. When you're, when you're working with your students, mm-hmm. have you noticed this kind of, a kind of a peculiar thing where, the ones that say they want to learn an art, one of the arts, mm-hmm. or the ones they say they want to really have a mentality about things. The ones that say that, and the ones that really mean that, you can, you can, how long does it take you to ter- determine the difference? Probably not, I want, I mean, seconds or? Yeah, how long yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question is, how do you determine that that quickly though? Yeah, for me, it's just, I, I pay attention I, you know, I, I'm, I'm an observant guy, uh, particularly like a people watcher. And I like to observe people when they're doing anything but what they say they want to do. Okay. Because it's uh, uh, one of my favorite sayings from, uh, I, I, I'm not sure who originally said it, but I, I read it in the Jack Canfield book. Yeah. Uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. So when I'm listening to somebody talk or, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, the things that they say, the way they dress, the way they act, that gives me an indication of what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And then once I can get, I get that baseline of, okay, well, this is fundamentally who you are. So then that helps me to say that, you know, hey, if, if you're saying that, that you want to accomplish this, but everything that you've done in your life to this point has shown me that 
Yeah, you you don't like to sacrifice. You don't like to, uh, in the Chinese phrase, eat bitter. You don't like to to go through the the, the grind. Well, then you don't really want this. You, you you like the idea. You're in love with the idea. Love the idea. Yeah. You're not in love. Yeah, you're not in love with the person. You like the way they look, but you don't like the 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 stuff you're gonna have to put up with. You know, to marry that person. So it, so that's that's usually a pretty pretty quick. Uh, if you know the person, at least have any level of understanding of them, uh, it's usually a fairly quick analysis. Um, so I mean, that, that's kind of my process. Because I was wondering, because I know that, you know, we, we do different things. I mean, you spend your day doing very different things than I do. Because I, I mean, I wish I could do a Kung Fu, but I, I hate pain. So if I have to like bend over and touch my toes, I, in other words, if I drop a pencil, I just go to the cabinet and get another pencil. Exactly. So that's where I'm at. So, um, <laughs> No, so that's why I gotta go jogging, but that's not the point. But um, that's why I wonder because I know you're dealing with people in a very similar way. I mean, it's like you have something you could do, and you have something you can show them how to do it. It's not just you know how. Like some teachers, like you know, I'll say to students, like you know this one. Some teachers, like great football coaches, they can't play football at all. You know, my one of my favorite hockey soccer teams is Liverpool, mm-hmm. right? Well, that coach wasn't necessarily a great player, but he's a good coach. Yeah. So sometimes you get like you get a teacher in your college that's a really good player, but they may not be a great teacher yet. But they're a good player. You can still learn from them if you know if you know how to ask good questions. Sometimes they're a good. They can't. They couldn't make a living if they wanted to, but they they're good teachers because mm-hmm. they understand the idea and they have enough relationships. They can do that for you. I think the trick is to understand that. But when you're dealing with students, I think I kind of think that maybe you are so far into where you are doing what you're doing that it doesn't take you long to, you don't have to go through a huge process. You, your brain already knows what the criteria is and you can see if they don't have it or if they do have it. Is, yeah. that, is that right? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like you're saying, like, you know, the autopilot thing. Um, when when you've done something, you know, you and I both, when you've done something for as long as we've done and you spend as many hours as you have and you've been around as many people who have been either A, exceptionally successful or B, dismal failures, you begin to you you begin to catalog things and you understand traits and and habits and and skills and things like that and you just you can go oh okay yeah you know this fits these fundamental criteria so I don't I never say that anything is an absolute but it's you know this is my jumping off point and the jumping off point is, has gotten bigger over the years as you gather gather more data points you know you've got got more to work with and you can say. You know, well, if you want to do this, it's going to require things that, that right now you're not willing to do. Now, if you're willing to change those things, then, okay, we're going to get a different result. But, you know, based on, on where you are right now and what's important to you right now, this is not a desirable outcome in terms of, of uh, you know, what you're going to have to invest. So so we either need to change your attitude or we have to change your your actions. So which one do you want to do? Well, see, that's why I'm glad you're you're doing this because you bring you bring it you bring in whatever we talk to you about, but you also bring what you know into the equation. Because you look at someone like Tiger Woods, right? You look at someone like Michael Jordan. Not to use always use sports analogies, yeah. very similar. But um, he wanted to quit, and his mom said he's famous for saying, "Just try one more time." I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. It just shows you. Even Tiger Woods he talks about how important his father was. Mm-hmm. You know, his father was like, "Yeah, yeah, get up and go hit a hundred more shots." But dad, I'm tired. Yeah, sure. I get it. Go get a hundred more shots. Or the famous parents that say to their kid, yeah, but you're going to go practice the violin for one more hour. 
and that during that hour, I'm going to scrutinize that whole hour. Well, they hated it first, but later on, like um, son, son, who, uh, guy who plays uh, football for um, for Tottenham Hotspur, he said his dad made him juggle the ball for I think it was more than an hour. I think it was four hours a day of just juggling the ball. How boring would that be? But he yeah. said the things I learned about how to control the ball, how to pass the ball, how the ball comes off your foot and juggling the ball for three or four hours a day. Now I realize why. It's like, yeah, because you can't know, you know, you can't know why because you've not been down that path. Right. You can only guess what it looks like. But if you've driven long distances before, you know it's unwise to guess. But I think like you're saying, so you bring something to the equation for your students so that they, they, they can use you as a mentor. And I think if anything, the problem we have now is that young people don't think that it's like I say to kids look me playing with Christian McBride right is like you playing with whoever the pop group is for your day chances are I'm actually play more trumpet than you will because sometimes for those groups you're just doing hits it's more how you look right you know and so a friend of mine was going on the road with with an actor I won't tell you the name of and so he said what's the most important thing I should know for going on the road with this pop group or this one singer and I said for this particular singer, he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, for this specific singer, I said, yeah. I said, I said, be, more than anything else, never, ever, ever, I mean, ever forget this one thing. Never run out of hair gel. <laughs> there you go. Because he went, really? It's like that. I said, go to the gig. Call me, call me about a year and a half into the gig. He went, yep, this gig is way more about hair gel and making sure my shoes are signed than playing the trumpet because everything I'm playing is on this synth track somewhere else. It's like, yeah, but when you're playing lead with Buddy Rich, you're, if you're not, you're, so to play with Christian McBride, I have to play way more. So I explain to students, look, it's, it's just because that person isn't the star of that day, it's realizing that person was the star of that day. So if you're playing with someone who's the star of your day, it's going to take very similar mentalities mm-hmm. to do those things. And so once you understand the fundamental, then things get easy over, over, over long periods of time. I yeah. think people want something that's like specific for this thing. That's like, forget that. That's just, that's the reason they call them the same fundamentals that were important in basketball 50 years ago are still important today. But the trick is, do you know them? Mm-hmm. It's like the same with, I'm sure in the arts, there's certain fundamentals that just are, if you don't get them, a lot of stuff's never going to really click for you. But how do you get those fundamentals? Unless you have someone like Tiger's dad or someone like, you know, like the different coaches at these, or some, even with us, like you have the right kind of teacher to tell you these these important fundamentals and maybe your teacher at your college may not be able to tell you what those are. Maybe they don't know, or they don't have time or maybe some combination of who knows, but they have a lot of pressure on them. So to think that you can get these things from just going to school is why you having this, this uh, conversation with different players is so important. Different people are so important because to me, this is the stuff that fills in the blanks. So, you know, people try to sound like Jerry. Hey, they realize, you know, Jerry was doing Jerry. I'm doing Jerry. It's like it's like that movie. Um, not oh, it's that movie um, where where Julia Roberts, where the guy says he's chasing her, and you're chasing him. Who's chasing you? Because he wants, she wants to be with him, but he kind of wants to be with her. But she thinks maybe he wants to be with her instead. So he says, Rupert Effort says he's chasing her. You're chasing him. Who's chasing you? It's like. You guys are all in love with Jerry, but who, who is Jerry doing? Well, Jerry's doing Jerry. Yeah. So maybe you could do you. Yeah. And let, let Jerry be Jerry. Yeah. Because it was interesting when you, you know, listen to Jerry talk. It's interesting to hear his point of view on things, right? It's just, 
but you know, knowing knowing the side things I know about him from guys who worked with him over the years, there's there's other stuff, obviously. But it's like you know, Jerry didn't whoops himself into that. He talks about how lucky he was to meet Quincy, but Jerry had the goods. Yeah. And how would he get those goods? That's he didn't really go into that too much, did he? No. Yeah, of course, because you know he doesn't want to. He might feel like it might be boring, but that's the stuff I want to know. It's like Jerry, you know. So maybe you can have a call-in show. It's like Jerry. It's like, um, come on, dude, come on, come up, come up with it. How did you? How did you learn how to do that? You know? Yeah, yeah. You didn't, whoops, you didn't whoops yourself into that. Yeah. Well, you know that uh, that will be a show for another day. Just like we'll have another show with with Frank. Frank David Green and uh, his secrets for uh, playing quadruple high Z's and uh, yeah, Pinky Ray. <laughs> yeah, I, and I want to I want to know about all those little added uh, accoutrement that you have on your horn. So I got to find out about, about <laughs> yeah, all the text me. I'll tell you. Yeah, whatever. We can talk uh, back and forth about that stuff. Yeah, all, all the goodies. Um, but uh, so I, I want to just quickly go back to something uh, before we do our, our final uh, speed round. Um, you're talking about the embouchure changes, and, and you know, as something that I, I certainly had struggled with over the years. Um, it, your your um, your last embouchure change was that like was that something by design, like where you're trying to just uh, make some adjustments, or or is that something that was uh, you know a result of of something that you know, like things out of your control? Well, my first armature change was because um, I was playing up pivot. My teacher said, "If you do that, you're going to kill your you're going to kill your chops." So he made me go down pivot a bit, right? So mm -hmm. that was an adjustment. I did that when I was in high school. But um, then one of them was because my teeth were shifting, and it was just changing, and I was having to learn how to play on a new setting, which a couple guys in town are going through now. And then I had my wisdom teeth removed, three of them at one time, which. If you ever have that happen, make sure you get a mold of your teeth so you can get retainers for your bottom and your top so that once your teeth settle, they'll settle back where they were. Because here's what happened to me. Two of my front, my top tooth went like this. And all that support used to getting on the rim is gone. And so you're chasing it by moving over here. And that's not where you're used to playing. And so you wind up causing damage, which is what I did. So now I had to be put it way over here and, and learn how to play that way. And it was a pain. It took me a year. So it took me a couple of years. And so I'm letting myself move back a little bit that way. So this would be four, basically. I'm letting myself move a little bit back that way and changing my rim contour because I just mm -hmm. know more now. And so changing my rim size and rim contour a bit, which has allowed me to move it back to where I kind of was playing when I was a kid. Because that, that, that buzz point, that, that, um, that uh, I call it buzz point, people call it aperture. Mm -hmm. My buzz point feels more natural there mm -hmm. than other places. So... Um, if I can kind of move it closer to that buzz point, then I feel that feels a bit more natural. So I think, like I said, I just know more now about, about pieces and rims and things that I did before. So now I can come at it from a different point of view. But it just takes time. And it's, it's frustrating because you're not, you're not like practicing stuff to play better. You're, you're practicing stuff just, just, just to be able to play. Yeah. So people yeah. don't really get that until they go through it. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's yeah, a pain, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge thing, you know, it's the, you know, it's like we were talking earlier about the idea of the, you know, life being a, uh, a treadmill, you know, in mm -hmm. face and going the other way, you know, so. Like you're, you're doing this like crazy, but it looks like you're going like this, right? Yeah, so it's, you know, pra practicing for, for maintenance or practicing for improvement and, you know, those are all the kind of different things, so. Uh, but, all right, so what we're going to do is we're going to do our little speed round here and, uh. I'm going to throw some questions out to you, and I want your quickest answer. Quick answer, okay. All right, here we go. We got it. 
And here's the first one. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Martin Luther King. What is your favorite book? Oof. Right now, I'm going to go back to Zen of the Martial Arts. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Ooh, worst movie. Um, that one with those guys in the desert. Is- Ishtar, Ishtar, I think it was called. Okay, Ishtar. That, oh, was, that, was, that, that was a horrible movie. <laughs> An expensive, horrible movie. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to do? You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to teach surfing in the summertime and teach skiing in the wintertime. And my dad said, get a real job. So I'd go back to that because my dad's passed away, so he can't yell at me. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your favorite drink? Ooh, right now, probably ginger beer. If I can get the D&G, the stuff they have in Jamaica. That's my favorite. All right. Uh, you could have a dinner party and invite any three living people. Who would they be? Living people? Living oh, people. Geez. Can I put dead people instead? All right, living people. Um, probably, there's so many people have died recently. That's a tricky one because I, you know, I think living people, probably President Obama, um, David Letterman, because that, that's always a fun combination, right? And maybe like Russell Wilson. Okay. Uh, same scenario. You can have a dinner party, but the guests are? Hmm, dead. Oh, James Moody, Jimmy Heath. And Frank West. Maybe okay. Frank Foster. Can I put Frank Foster in there? Frank okay. Foster. Yeah. All right. Uh, lacquer plated or raw? Raw brass. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Oof. I think the one we said today, how you do anything is how you do everything. All right. What is your greatest fear? Hmm, not being able to have fun. Uh, you could only have one superpower. What would it be? Oh, man, to fly. Are you kidding me? I, it, with COVID, just fly wherever you want to go. It'd be great, man. <laughs> All right. What a- yeah, there you go. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most overrated? Well, aspect? Hmm. Um, I'd say technique for technique's sake. Okay. What aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most underrated? Um, subtlety. All the subtlety of a flying mallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that really tickled me. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we're all guilty of that sometimes. Yes. <laughs> you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Remember why you're there. Mm. All right, same thing. You're back there talking to your younger self. What advice would you give yourself about life? Ooh, same. Remember why you're there. Remember why you're there. Okay. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? That, you know, if I'm dead and, and they're lying, I want people to feel like, you know, maybe they were better off for annoying me than, than not. I like to feel like I'm better off for annoying people than not knowing them. So maybe that. Their, their life is maybe a little bit better because they knew me. Yeah, that's... That is a very true thing, my friend, because my life is definitely better having met you, and I appreciate your your friendship. I uh, appreciate you, you know, your inspiration, uh, and uh, we need to sit down and have a, a cup of coffee together, non-virtually. Uh, I, I could go for a nice, uh, maybe, Guatemalan or Nicaragua. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My man. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I know. I know where to go. When you're in New York, when you're hanging out here in New York, well, I know exactly where we'll go. When we're in the same neighborhood.
All right. Well, we'll make that happen soon. I promise you that. So um, in uh, closing, just make sure that if you haven't already picked up Frank's book, that you... Oh, shameless uh, plug. Shameless plug. I know that. Uh, I knew that. Uh, I See, I'm thinking in the present tense. I'm being mindful. I'm in the moment. Because now you know. Yeah, well, yes. you knew before. <laughs> yeah, you, well. you already knew that. I, I I, I know it, knew it, nut it, whatever. Uh, so, uh, yeah, make sure you pick it up. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. So you can certainly do that. Get it Amazon and uh, read it. And it's got some really great stuff in it. And you know, if you're a musician, obviously, if you're a trumpet player, you're uh, going to enjoy it. Uh, and if you're not a trumpet player, it's got some, some really good stuff uh, in it, just in terms of life in general, because, you know, it's all the same stuff. So, uh, as always, folks, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you got something out of it. We love uh, love your support. So, peace. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Slide grease. We're out. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound. And I'll see you at the next hang. <laughs>